hands together, give a warm Glenwood Springs welcome to Pastor Marshall Townsley as he comes to minister to us. Thank you, Mark. Love you, man. So much for social distancing. We're not distancing. supposed to do this. Well, the last time I spoke as a guest speaker anywhere was a year ago right here, so this past year. So here we are again. What a year, huh? Wow. I am so tired of seeing little blue masking tape arrows go this way, wrong way. Might as well in our state, because our restaurants, you can't, you can't eat indoors in New Mexico. We had a short window where we could do that for a bit. And then that was reversed, so there's only outdoor dining. So Albuquerque, Siberia, I guess, is where I'm living right now. But uh, it was nice to eat indoors in Denver for the awesome. Guys, don't take it for granted. It was awesome. Very thankful. Wow, what we've had to, had to negotiate, uh, what we've had to manage, what we've had to uh, pastor. So, so many people today are letting the internet pastor them. And you know, the apostle, Amazon, the prophet, Google, evangelist, Facebook, pastor, Instagram, and teacher, TikTok. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we, we just, uh, I don't want us to miss our opportunity to really show off this unique life that we possess. And if we're not on, on uh, guard, then we will just slip into the other, and the other is not helpful. When, I'm, when, I'm, when, I, when I refer to the other, uh, again, I'm just referring to that old life that we were delivered from, even for Christians, a carnal way of life. Uh, we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the only nation on the planet, and we are considered a nation. According to the scripture, there's a group of nations still referred to as the Gentile nations. Then, there's, of course, there's Israel. By the way, the church has not taken the place of Israel. And then there is the church. And so scripturally, we are viewed as a nation. We are viewed as God's nation. We are unlike any other nation on the planet. No, come on, we've got to think this way. We've got to think this way on purpose if we're going to really take advantage of the opportunity that we have to show God off and to again put on display this incredible life that we now enjoy uh, in Christ Jesus. I, I am a little afraid that we have already missed some open windows and open doors in 2020 to do that. We acted just like everybody else acted when it came to the political unrest and the, the racial tensions and, of course, the pandemic. And well, We don't ignore any of that. We just manage it different. We have one who lives on the inside of us who is the overcomer. Amen. And as we yield to him and lean into him uh, more and more, then we find ourselves not only thinking differently, but making better choices and, and uh, experiencing different things, heaven on earth. and all. Then we're the light that God uh, has anointed us and appointed us 
uh, to be in such a dark place called the world. And, uh, and so I pray that we would not miss any more opportunities, that we would come into 2021 and take a deep breath. And I know you've been spending time, as we have in Albuquerque, praying and fasting. You've looked at your fundamentals. You've looked at your uh, basic values of what makes uh, New Creation Church of Glenwood, New Creation Church, what makes Believer Center of Albuquerque, Believer Center of Albuquerque. We have reassessed that. We've talked about that. We've re-preached that. We've talked about the certain things that we have in uncertain times. Talked about all these beautiful uh, Christian certainties that we have in uncertain times. So I know we've, uh, God is leading us. I know God is working to keep us on track. Uh, I just think we have an enormous opportunity to take a real leap forward if we will. If we will, if we can get past uh, every little thing that aggravates us. And we'll allow ourselves to be provoked. I talked to you a little bit about that. Before I jump into that, though, uh, Alan, while you were talking, I remember something that happened last September, August, September. A Believer Center celebrated 40 years as a church last September. In the midst of all this, we didn't get to celebrate quite like we wanted to, so we're going to do a do-over at some point. Uh, but we, uh, we, we had a, a check that was brought to Cindy and I, sent to Cindy and I. It was for us personally. It was a $5,000 check. We weren't expecting it, weren't anticipating it. Uh, came from some dear friends of ours. And um, we were just, uh, again, taken by it. God is good. But it got me to really thinking um, uh, uh, about how we as the church, especially in our uncertainty at all times, but especially in our, our uncertainty, that we ought to be uh, expecting provision from God from unusual and unexpected places. In fact, I, when I went to God just thanking Him for what this couple had done in our life, uh, I said, why did you do that? Just, I know He's good. I know He's wonderful. I know He's awesome. I know He's always giving. He's incredibly generous. But I said, why did you do that at this time? He said, I want you to remember that you and Cindy and my church are appointed to blessing. That's the way he put it. He said, you're appointed to blessing. Would you say that out loud with me? I am appointed to blessing. You get that from 1 Kings in chapter 17 in one place where Elijah is really first mentioned. And uh, I was back and forth whether I should talk about this at length today or something else. I went with something else. But I do want to just... I just feel like there's a place for it here. And uh, when, when Elijah is sort of introduced to us for the first time, and uh, he is prophesying on God's behalf to a very wicked king by the name of Ahab, who has married a, a woman who is uh, not a Jewish woman uh, named Jezebel. And she is in process of introducing the uh, Israelites to other gods, Baal in particular. And Baal, by the way, his specialty happened to, happened to be with rain and moisture. So when God's judgment came uh, against Ahab, it came in the form of drought. God always has the upper hand. God is always the greater one. Amen. And he is pointed in his judgment when he brings it. So uh, he's, he told Elijah, he said, go tell Ahab this is what's going to happen. And then he, he turned to uh, Elijah and said, you're going to need protection. 
and you're going to need food and water, and I'm going to make provision for you. So he sent him to the brook Cherith, east of Jordan, and he said, there you can drink from the brook until it dries up, and it will dry up because of my judgment. But drink from the brook, and I have commanded, everybody say commanded. In the Hebrew, another, it's a, another meaning of the word there is appointed. He said, I have appointed the ravens to feed you morning and evening. All right. Didn't stop there. That's exactly what happened. But then when it was time to move on, when the brook dried up, it's time to move on. God used the same language. Uh, uh, speaking to Elijah, he said, I have appointed, commanded, appointed a widow woman there for you at Zarephath. And uh, you're supposed to have a connection with her. Of course, it ended up being a supernatural. Talk about an unexpected. I would say ravens are sort of an unexpected resource. Well, here's a widow woman who, who uh, was preparing her last meal for her and her son. Very unexpected. You wouldn't think, it's not reasonable, that God would use this woman uh, to help the prophet. But again, that's exactly what happened. And of course, because she put God first and put the word of the prophet first, then she was also taken care of. Her meal never ran out. The oil didn't run out until rain until God's judgment was lifted, and rain actually fell. So you can do the study on that. It's, it's incredible what God did in that situation, but God pointed me to that when he began to talk to me personally about that and, and, and wanted me to talk to the church about that. So I'm just going to plant that seed with you. Is that all right? And you can develop it, First Kings 17. You can develop it um, and, and talk more about it in 2021. Again, expect God's provision from unusual, say it, unusual, and unexpected, say it, unexpected places, unusual and unexpected places. Amen. You're the church, and God's going to resource us from unexpected, unusual places, and that overflow is going to go into your community, and it's going to go into our community. Praise God. All right. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you ready to be dismissed or you want a little bit something else here today? Okay. You know, we did a series, uh, we, uh, because we have quite the teaching team and have for years at Believer Center. Cindy, of course, is an incredible teacher of the word. Um, but we have others in the church. My son-in-law, Pastor David uh, Eifert, is an amazing communicator of the scripture. I don't know that he would be preaching if Cindy hadn't... Uh, uh, gone to him personally, just pulled that, stirred up that gift on the inside of him all those years ago. Um, but in time, it's likely that he will take the lead of Believer Center of Albuquerque. But he is an incredible communicator of the scripture. We have uh, other members of our staff, our uh, uh, Gail Overton and Shirley Howard, are teachers in our church. So from time to time, we just team up and, team up and we do a series together. And last year, we did a series that we called A Gentle Answer. There's actually a book written, and we borrowed from that, but it, it, we called the series A Gentle Answer, the long title, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. Because we were dealing with so much last year that was, uh, a, you know, so much unrest was, again, um, manifesting itself and with it. Uh, so many emotions and, 
you know, the confusion that comes with uh, unbridled passions. Did you know that passions uh, can be positive, but they can be negative? Passions, the best way I can refer to passions is that they are just so unpredictable. Uh, and so compassion is not that way. Passion is that way, and there is a difference. Passion can be all over the map and can produce evil. Passion can produce good things as well. But again, you have to bridle it. You have to monitor it. It has to be somehow influenced by the Spirit of God. You say something in a moment, in a passion, that you'll take, take, take you years to get out of. If you're not, again, guarded, if you're not disciplined, if you're not yielded to the Spirit of God. I saw a lot of that in Christians last year. Of course, in the world, I expect it. I expect a little bit more out of the people that we pastored. I heard them saying things that they said with passion. You know, there was the racial unrest, and suddenly there was a push to join this organization and join this organization and take up this cause and take up this cause. Of course, we had the election uh, to deal with. It uh, wasn't a very happy place, say the least, you know. I still, I, I'm going to get in trouble here if I'm not careful. I have to watch my own passion here. You know, uh, I, I voted for Trump not once but twice. And I don't have to explain this to you, but you are my family. Not because I, I saw everything in the man that, everything in the man inspired me. But I won't come close to voting for anything that even smells close to socialism. I have friends that escaped communism, socialism. Uh, it is, I don't care what title you give it, how you try to soften the blow of it. Uh, it is a horrible, wicked, devastating philosophy. And we just don't need it in the United States of America. We don't need it in any nation in the world, but we don't control all that. I think sometimes we think we can, but we, we, we don't want it to come take hold of our nation. But having said that, I just want you to know, I don't believe God is a white Republican. I just don't believe that. And again, I voted for it, but I don't believe that God is a white Republican. And I, I saw, and we will address some of that in this, but I, I saw and got real concerned about the number of isms that we are still allowing to shape our thinking as members of the body of Christ. And we're losing again an opportunity to influence our nation in the way that we've been praying. We want our nation to follow after God, don't we? But we're missing an opportunity to lead the nation that way because we're just acting like everybody, everybody else. You know, and there was a Christian Trumpism that began to take hold of our nation. And I hope I don't make an enemy this morning. I have so many good things to say. I hope I, I'm not making an enemy. We can disagree and not hate each other, which, again, that's not exactly what we saw in 2020 in so many different situations. But uh, in this series, my part was to talk a little bit about the cost of the opposite response. Again, instead of giving a gentle answer, and please don't see gentleness as weakness because it's simply not. 
It is a major strength, a major virtue. In fact, Jesus described himself in this way. He said, I am gentle. I am. I am gentle. Not just I have gentle things to say. I am gentle and lowly in heart in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20, 29. Okay? So it's not a, a weakness at all. It's a great strength and probably one, again, that is underdeveloped, and we need to develop more of it in our own, our own lives. But I, I thought it, it might be helpful, as we talked about this, to see the expense of not being gentle. And you can imagine, then, the advantage of being gentle when you begin to see the great expense that the Bible spells out of not being gentle. In fact, the opposite of gentle is brutal. Brutal, not a word that any of us who follow Jesus want to be described uh, by as to how we treat other human beings, okay? In fact, I never thought that I would see a generation, we may be the first generation to actually turn hate into an asset. And we should be alarmed at that. Not everybody's like that, but I've just never quite seen it. been following Jesus since the summer of 19. 72, and I have never quite seen people celebrating hatred the way that they celebrate hatred. And I'm sorry, I'm not, it's not just the ones who are without Christ. It's men and women like us in this room who profess to follow Jesus Christ. But there is a great cost to not following him in any area. Great advantage to following him in every area uh, of life. And, uh, and so if you, if you bear with me, I'd like to just kind of talk a little bit about um, that today. Again, remind you, remind myself in the process that a gentle answer is what I think God seeks from us. It's powerful. It's strong. It's life-changing. It's devil-defeating. Amen. There's nothing weak about it. There's absolutely nothing that I can think of uh, that is a weakness when it comes to being gentle with people. Um, so, you know, in fact, let me just do this. In Luke chapter 14, verse 28, if you, you have a Bible, you want to turn there, uh, or just make note of the verse. The Message Bible says this, uh, is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it. That's actually a, a, an answer, a question that Jesus asked after a, a series of, of questions about what it takes to follow him. In fact, Jesus had just asked a question, another question, he, before, just prior to this, um, when he said, uh, he said this, he said, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you to do? It just it was a question. It wasn't, again, I don't think he was condemning anybody, but he was just making a point here. You, want, you say you want to follow Jesus. Some of you already call me Lord. Um, but why do you do that? It's a fair question. Why do you do that if you don't want to follow my teachings? Why would you do that? In fact, well, you know this in another place 
when judgment rolls around, there are going to be people that Jesus actually turns to and says, you call me Lord, Lord, but I'm telling you to depart because you're a worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You say you did this. You say you prophesied. You say you cast out demons in my name. You said you lived a Christian life. I never knew you. We never had a relationship. You called me Lord. So that's not proof enough, is it? Just to call Jesus Lord. It's the right thing to do. And one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And they'll say it, whether they want to or not, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But it's not it's not all there is to following Jesus, is it? Or having a relationship with him. Well, no. The reason I bring that up is because, again, the next question was, he says, is there, it was that counting the cost question that came up. So essentially, Jesus is still just kind of asking questions and, and, and ministering on this, this subject of what it means to build a great life. And to build a great life is to follow Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, everything that's within you. Amen. Don't just call me Lord, but follow after him. And again, if there's one thing that Jesus was, it was incredibly gentle when it came to dealing with people who many times weren't gentle with him. So if it was something that, that showed up in him, we want it to show up in us. Can I have a good amen? I believe it's a, a, a spirit of God is just at work. Um, so let me just list down a few things here. So what is the cost? Again, you know, a hurtful behavior injures both the victims and the perpetrator. So I know sometimes we think it feels really good to be hateful and to be ugly and be vengeful and brutal. With people, we feel powerful. Man, I had my say. The truth of the matter is you not only hurt someone, you hurt yourself. Now, you've, you've injured someone, and now you've also injured yourself. Now, you know our feelings can lie to us. Emotions can lie to us. Here's the first thing. Uh, number one, a failure to follow Jesus. It's a great cost. It's a failure to follow Jesus and subsequent grieving of the Holy Spirit. The word grieving there means distress, means to upset, means again to hurt or to wound. Is it possible that we can distress the Holy Spirit, upset the Holy Spirit, hurt him or wound him? Apparently it is because we're told to grieve not the Spirit of God. So it, it is the cost of of failing to follow Jesus. I'm thinking about a young man. Let me kind of fill in the blank here. It might help us. I'm thinking about a young black man in our congregation. He is one of our uh, amazing worship leaders. He's really come on strong the last couple of years. He came up in our youth group uh, and has just continued to develop as a strong Christian man and leader, and he seems to have found his niche in leading uh, worship. And, um, and when all this stuff happened, especially when the horrible, tragic death of Mr. Floyd happened last year, of course, we began to hear again about how horrible it is, and it is. Uh, and then we heard the rise of Black Lives Matter. We heard the other side, all lives matter, white lives matter. Law enforcement was put under fire. You know, here we go. And in times like that, just know this. I think you do. You felt it, whether you could describe it. You, as a man or woman of God, you were being seduced. Whether you gave into it or not, between you and God, but it, you were being seduced to choose sides. 
and to be a part of the division and not a part of the answer. You were being seduced to be limited in your ability to affect lives in the world, not just your community. And I remember his name is Chandler. Uh, I, I just knew in my spirit that people were approaching him because he was a black man, trying to get him to take the side of Black Lives Matter, some other uh, groups. And, and he, was, he was resisting, and I, but I knew he was troubled. I just knew it in my spirit. We hadn't had a conversation about it. And then there was a, a word that God gave me for him. And it was how, how God, how, how pleased God was with his stance to resist it. Instead of a stance here or a stance here, his stance was just to resist being seduced from the anointing that he carried on his life. I believe he has an international influence on his life if he just keeps growing that direction. But he was in the in the process of being reduced, seduced and reduced. That's what happens. When you're seduced, the end result is being reduced. Amen? So, number two, the inability to represent Jesus accurately to others. We've kind of talked about that, but that's a cost. It's too big a cost. If I'm going to be brutal with people, I can't represent who Jesus is to them. Number three, you, you vacate the anointing you carry for good. The anointing stays with you. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. You've been taught that, taught well about that. It's still true, always been true. But you will vacate it. You'll stop pulling from it. You'll stop drawing from it. It'll become about you. And whatever, uh, whatever you give out to others is from you, from your flesh and from your soul. If you want to give from your spirit, from that anointing that's on your life, then again, you have to count the cost of resisting the other. Okay, in this case, learning how to use your mouth in a profitable way, uh, learning how to exhibit, again, a gentleness, again, about your life and demeanor if you, wanna, if you really want to stay within that anointing. The last one I've written down here, and there are more, but... I've written down this one. You will be derelict or negligent in the cause of Christ or the Great Commission. Our shared responsibility to evangelize all men and then, of course, disciple those who believe. You, you will lay that aside and you will be ineffective in it if you choose to be brutal in your response uh, to whatever it is that you're presented with or is provoking provoking you. And then I'm just going to close today with a few little things to think about. How's that? We're going to have a lot of discussion on it, but um, I think it'll be helpful just to kind of guide you through some of these thoughts and things you have to think about. You okay? Good. So many of my congregation are still wearing masks. I can't even see them smile. I have to look at their eyes and try to, I have to listen to God. I can't trust what I'm seeing. I feel like I'm going to be robbed at any time. <clears throat> but let me give this to you. Well, I just one, two, three, four, five again without much discussion. I might spend a little time on the first one to kind of get you to thinking with me. And then you can use that process to think for yourself through the others. But the first one is 
uh, and this is my confession and should be yours, is we do anger well. Say, I do anger well. Say it again, I do anger well. Is that possible? Yeah, actually it is possible. You can be angry and not sin. Again, let me remind you of the verse. It's in Ephesians 4, 26. It says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. I like the King James Version of the best because it actually reveals a couple of different sources for our anger. He says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Well, there's God's anger and God's wrath, and then there's your wrath. We just kind of run through this verse, and we fail to see that there are two different types of anger or wrath that are mentioned in this one verse. Be ye angry, be ye angry, and sin not. That would be exercising God's righteous indignation in the appropriate way. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. James would go on to write that. Again, you probably quote that verse to me where he says that the, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. So anytime we're just angry, we're not living out, you're not having a, a, a righteous impact on, any, on, on our situation on anybody. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 in the Amplified Bible says, Let your love be sincere, a real thing. Hate what is evil. Loathe all ungodliness. Turn in horror from wickedness. But hold fast to that which is good. There's a lot of unrighteous things out there that God is angry about. We just got to figure out how he shows it. And, and, and follow him into that. Come on, are you, are you thinking with me? You know, our, our, first of all, our, our concept of love still to a great degree is so juvenile. It is so childish. If I say no to you and you get upset with me and you say you don't love me, how old are you? Isn't that like five? You know, if... if, if the scripture says that this or that is forbidden, and I say that from the word, and I say that not to wound, but to help. And you get all upset and bent out of shape over it, and you call me a hater, or you, you want to show that you're a part now of the can a cancel culture? If you disagree with me, you can go to hell. Are you going to, you know, that's so, so childish. It's just infantile. It's juvenile. we got to grow, keep growing in the love of God. Anybody arrived in the love of God yet? Not me. Showed some of that in 2020. But I, I'm, I'm going to keep growing in it. Amen? So he said, be sincere. And you got to know this. To love like God loves, you got to hate like God hates. The Bible teaches that. You know, if, if, I, if, I, if, I love, if I want people to be well, then I've got to hate what makes them sick. I don't hate the sick. I hate what makes people sick. If I want to see people whole, I've got to hate what tears them apart. I have to. Or I'm not being perfected in love. 
They just, they just go, to, go together, okay? Again, toxic anger destroys the good in order to promote the evil. But healthy anger seeks to destroy the evil in order to promote and protect the good. Um, wow. Just go on and on here. Let's, let's drop down to this verse. Proverbs 25, 22. No, Romans 12, 21, and then Proverbs 25, 22 will make more sense. Romans 12, 20 says, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, what are you supposed to do? Be gentle. Feed him. If he thirsts, give him to drink. Be gentle, not brutal. Be gentle. Give him to drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, some people go, wait a minute. I feed him, I give him to drink, and then I make him feel hot on his head. Burning head. Yeah. Yeah. So we still get our dig in. We still, you know, make him feel like he's done something really wrong. Like he's really missed God. Okay, I'll give you something to eat. I'll give you something to drink, but you're going to burn. See, don't tell me you've never thought that. And what Paul is doing, though, is he's referring. Now, watch this. What Paul is doing is he's referring to Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 22. And that verse reads this, again, talking about doing good uh, when you're presented with the opportunity. He says, for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord will reward you. It seems like the Lord's going to reward me for doing something mean, brutal. Again, it can't be what the Scripture means. So what does it mean? Well, if you do just a little study about the history, when these proverbs, when these proverbs were written and these sayings were written, um, it had to do with actually helping someone whose fire had gone out, be rekindled. It actually teaches that if the fire of your enemy, I'm talking about the, the fire in their home, the one they use to cook by, if the fire of your enemy goes out, they come asking for a coal to relight their fire instead of turning them away or just giving them one we should be extravagantly generous. We must keep one coal for ourselves and give all the rest of the burning coals to our enemy. And how would they carry those coals to their home? Traditionally, they would do that on their heads. Uh, the, there's a Bible commentary called the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It really gets it right. Let me just read it to you. It says, sometimes a person's fire went out and he needed to borrow some live coals to restart his fire. Giving a person coals in a pan to carry home on his head was a neighborly, kind act. It made friends, not enemies. Proverbs 25, 22 instructs us to give our enemy so many burning coals that they have to carry them the way burdens are carried in the Middle East in a container on the head. Then they can go back and immediately bake their bread without having to wait for the wood to become suitable coals for cooking. Wow. 
Are you kidding me? Your enemy comes to your door. They've treated you horribly. They're the ones that call the police on you when you go past 10 o'clock. Just a little past 10 o'clock, they hear your music. They're the ones that tell you that you need to cut the tree along the fence line. doesn't matter. They just want to cut straight down the fence line. You know, they're the ones that you know are talking behind your back to the other neighbors about you being a Christian, a fanatic, a follower of Jesus. They come one night and say, you know what? Man, I'm out of food. I can't feed my kids. And during the pandemic, I mean, the, the, even the shelves are bare, and I, I need some help. Instead of taking that moment to do vengeance and to be brutal, you would go to your fridge and you would get more than they could carry in their hands. Not one sack, maybe two, maybe three. And then you would help them, maybe walk them home, open the door for them and show them who the real Jesus is in a world of liars and deceivers and people who are presenting Jesus in a way He's just never been revealed. This is our opportunity, church, to rise up and do it different. Amen? You up for the task? All right, let me just list these others, two, three, four, and five. So we do anger well. Say it again, I do anger well. Number two, we need to forgive all the way. Say, I forgive all the way. How can I do that, pastor? Isn't that condoning the wrong that's been done. No, it doesn't condone it at all. We forgive because Jesus forgave us. And when we do that, we release them so our life doesn't... You know, unforgiveness is like you know, drinking poison, not expecting to die. It's like... So we let it go, and we're releasing them so that we can move on and be healed ourselves because it hurt what they did hurt. But we're also releasing them to God to deal with... Uh, them. The third thing is we respond well when provoked. Again, remember this, if you don't remember much else, that provocation is is like seduction. And again, and when we're seduced, we are reduced. So when you're provoked, don't just immediately respond. I call it a, a prayerful hesitation in my step. I'm going to just hesitate a little bit before I respond. And I'm going to look for God's help, God's strength, God's wisdom, God's words, God's actions. I'm going to do my best to get hold of that before I do anything that I then have to apologize for, you know, and backtrack on. Uh, Lord Jesus, help all of us. Number four, um, grow tougher skin without hardening your heart. Grow tougher skin. Touchy. Don't be touchy. Grow a little tougher skin, but don't harden the heart. You can't minister effectively with a hardened heart. All of us know that who've endeavored to help. Not everybody thinks you are as important as you would like to maybe think you are. And so stop giving so much energy trying to please men. Just try to help them. And that way, if you learn how to freely give because you have freely received, 
The hurt will still be there, but it won't nearly take you to where it takes you otherwise. It won't take you down. A, I'm reminding our young ministers of that all. But that's one of the reasons I think Jesus pulled his disciples up close one day, and he says, freely you've received, freely you received. No strings attached. Now give the same way. No strings attached. Because if you're, if you're giving to someone or pouring into their life and you're expecting the same in return, you're going to end up disappointed or hurt. When Luke wrote, he didn't say, given it shall be given to you by the people you gave it to. He said, given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Shall men give to your bosom? They might give back, but there's no guarantee they will give back. That's where we miss that sometimes. Man, I've invested 10 years in this life right here. I'm expecting my 10 years back. At least 10 years back from him. You're going to be wounded. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be disappointed, and you could stop running the race because of it. Don't. Amen? Just don't do it. Learn how to just, it's maturing a little bit. You're not wounded. You don't take everything personal. Cindy has to work with me when it comes to people cutting me off in traffic. I think that's really personal. I think they know who I am. I think they waited for me. They have my license plate written down somewhere. I think they're demon-possessed. And most of them, if not all of them, are going straight to hell, so they better drive carefully. Have you noticed in 2020 how most people kind of laid their humanity aside? It's like they forgot how to be human. You know? Traffic, oh my God. But she has to remind me it's not all about me. The last thing I'm going to leave you with, I hope I've helped you this morning with anything, but uh, is, is learn, and Jesus will teach you this because he walked in this so incredibly well, but learn how to be uh, offense-resistant. Okay? Offense. Uh, offenses are going to come. They're, Jesus said that. He said they're just going to come. Um, but he says you, you don't have to give in to offense. And let me tell you a little secret. Maybe it's not a secret to you, but if Satan can't get you personally offended, he will get you to take up somebody else's offense like somebody who's your friend or someone you're married to, etc. someone at, other, at church. He can't get you personally offended. He will get you to take up somebody else's offense. So you just have to say no to it. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for helping us learn how to say no to every opportunity to be offended. What a waste of your precious time and resource when you could be really doing something for the kingdom of God and really giving your life to help someone to a higher place in life. There you are offended. I'm offended. So we resist that. Has this helped you this, this morning? All right. Let me just have you stand to your feet with me. We will pray over this together. And then I'll, I'll let Pastor Mark come back to the platform. What a great couple you guys have here. It just, uh, yeah. They're really special. Uh, I'm glad that they consider Cindy and I to be family and to be part of their lives. I don't know how at this stage to do life without them. I just don't. You know, I told Mark 
um, you know, I was scheduled to teach tonight. And then I heard Pastor Craig's going to give his testimony, so I got all excited about that. And he called me to let me know about the change. And I thought, well, you know, I'm offended. I'm not even coming to Glenwood Springs. <laughs> And if Pastor Craig ever needs us to pray for him again, forget that. <laughs> I had these amazing, two amazing messages prepared for you. And then all that changes. And I, that's not what I really said. I, said. I said, you know what? I am so excited to be with you, Mark, to be with Tasha, to be with this family of mine. I don't have to speak. I just soak it up with you. We could just worship, you know. I am just so grateful for your leadership, all levels of leadership. Um, for you, you know, Cindy and I just absolutely love you guys. And thanks for letting us be here today. We pray. Cry a little bit. What's that? Let's let me pray. Father, thank you for what you spoke into our lives today. There's so much that we can, <clears throat> excuse me, pursue now in our thoughts. We've got some homework to do. We've got some meditating of the scripture to do. We've got to step up and we've got to see ourselves as the church and followers of Jesus, given our time remaining on the planet. And we thank you, God, that you are at work by the Holy Spirit uh, right now, uh, right now at work within us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. I pray we wear Jesus well into every aspect of life, into what is this Sunday and the, and the many weeks and months, perhaps, if Jesus tarries, that we have to introduce people who may not know Jesus yet to the real Jesus, what he's really like, who he really is. Thank you for helping us do that. We pray and receive a great harvest of souls, and we pray for a great harvest of fruit in our own lives as your word grows in us and we act on it in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Thank you, church. Praise the Lord. You can be seated for just a moment. Wow. Glory to God. I'm just telling you, that'll give you some stuff to focus on. We're talking about focus, but this week it'll give you some things to really, uh, you know, all the stuff going on, it'll help you to focus. And in that, it will equip you to deal with situations that come. I'm just going to, a couple of things that really stood out that are important. And we've, we've talked about it, but he just brought it into clarity.